0: It's a Salesforce developer. They're still figuring it out. Well, how do you explain your love of pumpkin beers then, John? I don't. Uh, now I don't just like in, pumpkin now beers. Now you're in denial.
1: You know me. I always hate this time of year because I hate pumpkin beers. So <laughs> and that's what everyone's pushing.
0: Okay. So the reason I think that a lot of people don't like turkey, not that turkey is just this amazing product because it's not, but it can be pretty good. It just, it has to be cooked right. And it's pretty hard to cook a turkey right. I think the easiest way is to fry them, though.
1: Well, every year there's a new trend. So you have, frying was the big thing. And then, uh, How
0: about spatched, sous vide? Oh, spatchcocking. Spatchcocking. <laughs> yeah, spatchcocking is always a good option. Spatchcocking is super smart for turkey because, uh, it cooks so much faster and, and more evenly. we have to bleep
1: that? Spatchcocking? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't know. I think it's, I think it's a title candidate for sure. Oh. Well, let's go ahead and say this is the show then. How you doing, John? i good. It's actually
1: been a pretty good week. And you know why? Because most people are out. And my calendar is clean. I have have very little to no phone calls. Oh, isn't
0: that a good feeling?
1: And I have some development work to get done. It's been nice to kind of just be heads down and focused on development for a while without having the distraction of a phone call or my email notifications and things like that. It's been been good because I have been working on something that's a little, it's not complicated, but I'm making it complicated because I have to kind of thing.
0: That's that's the John way to do it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's... It's uh, I have to build this component, and I have to make it a certain degree of. I have to make it dynamic to a certain degree. I have to make it uh, configurable to a certain. Is degree.
0: Is this new, or did you did you allude to this last week also?
1: Uh, it's it's. I think I talked a little bit about this when I was kind of over architecturing something, over engineering something, and I had all these interfaces, and I scaled it back to having some more more concrete classes because I really didn't need that that amount of extendability. Hmm. extendability
0: Extensi- extend- Extensibility. Extensibility. Thank you. Yeah. So that's a three point word right there. So, and last week you were having some JSON fun times, and this week I've been having JSON fun times. I still was having JSON. Sorry, JSON. JSON, JSON. JSON, JSON.
1: JSON, JSON. Here's where we need video because I'm doing the, the Karate Kid thing. But um, yeah, I still wasn't able to resolve it. I had this hierarchy of classes, and they were internal classes. So it was made up of, so I had properties that were they had data structures which were basically internal classes and that's all they were they didn't really have anything behind them they followed the convention you're supposed to they have a they have a a they have a, a constructor and everything i mean it was they were fine but it would never serialize back if i just passed it directly and even even when i when i did a json serialize on the client side and then passed that back it still wouldn't deserialize
0: was it you getting an exception or just...
1: I was getting an exception. So it wasn't even getting to my controller class. It was, it was still in the process in between, in the Aura framework, basically, that was rejecting it. I finally took all those internal data structures and made them their own classes, which sucks because now my class, my class library is huge.
0: So you have a lot of DTOs, basically?
1: <sighs> yeah. Data, you want
0: to- data transfer objects?
1: Well, they're not transfer objects. They're just data structures. They're just meant to hold properties, organize properties for me.
0: I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to vote, and, and I'm curious to see what the, the, the live crowd here says. I'm going to vote that that is a DTO. That is what a DTO is for. I guess. I guess technically. I mean, it's, it's... There's no behavior behind it. There's no behavior. It's basically just for shuttling data structures between stuff, between layers, between systems, across the wire.
1: Yeah, except I, I only created them as a way to organize all these properties because there's a lot of them. And I could have one big class with uh, 20 ver- twenty properties, but I decided it's better to organize them because that's really how they're going to get represented on the client side anyways. Uh, so anyways, I broke them out all into their own classes. Still did not work. But this time when I, seriali- when I did a JSON serialize on the client side and passed it, it was able to deserialize it. So what are you using
0: just, to serialize? Just the browsers? Built yeah, in? just JSON okay.
1: dot, what is it? Yeah, I think it's just JSON to serialize or something. Yeah.
0: Or stringify or something. I think it's stringify, yeah, JSON to stringify. That's right. I'm, I get, I'm now I get the Apex confused with the Java and the JavaScript. and um, Okay, well, that said so you figured out why it wouldn't deserialize?
1: No, there's no figuring it out.
0: <laughs> <laughs> At some point I thought, I used to have issues with list. <laughs> Hang on, I have to, have to <laughs> pause on that one. That's hilarious. Why? There's no figuring it out. Some surgery. (laughs) That's a Salesforce development. They're still figuring it out. No, this is
1: lightning. (laughs) You
0: don't figure stuff out. You just make your way until it works. Oh, man. Isn't that the truth? Just keep hacking away. Just keep changing shit until something actually works. Exactly. I went
1: from having a list property to finding out if I do an array syntax, it worked. (laughs) And then now it doesn't matter. Now you can use list and array and it doesn't cause any issues. And I I just do all this trial and error until something goes through.
0: And that's what I was working on. uh, Some call outs. And it was just, you know, HTTP calls passing JSON back and forth. And um, I was getting the service I was calling. It was, I was getting, uh, it was not happy with what I was passing, but I couldn't really, I couldn't see why. And then I, was, I had my call out logging set to like, you know, finest. Uh-huh. And I, I was just still couldn't, I, I'm like, I've pretty, it's been a long time. I mean, I've, I haven't done serious Apex in a while. So I'm like, but I was like, I'm pretty sure that I used to be able to see the whole message in, in the log. If I said callout to, to fine or something or debug. It's sandboxes, You No, it's sandboxes for some reason. I don't, uh, tell me, explain to me why. Why is it just sandbox that you don't get? You can't get that. I don't understand that.
1: My understand well, I don't know. I thought it was a security thing for production. And then I no, heard. No, production, it was,
0: you can, right?
1: Can't no, you? Oh, you can't. it's only dev orgs. Right. It's only, okay. only dev. I guess only sandbox or dev orgs. I don't know what, which one it is, but production definitely does not. And I don't know if that was security. Maybe, maybe 50% security and 50% uh, log size. I mean, technically, a, a request and a response message could be pretty big. That's true. Typically, they're not.
0: Right. These were small. I mean, they're not, they're, these were probably several hundred bytes each. But I think, I, in fact, I think there's an idea linked. And if
1: you look at that linked ID, when you, cause you mentioned this in Slack, if you go to that, that uh, idea and you read the res- description from the product manager, they say they do it because of the two meg limit, which I think is a cop out because I don't think that's why. Well, I they I could either. easily truncate it. They said, uh, "Well, there's exactly. a two meg limit, and you might lose it." I'm like, "Well, just truncate it a
0: exactly. little bit." Yeah, I know something new? happened. I'm, I'm used to that truncation right, right now. I, mean, I don't know that anything happened. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, I, I um, yeah, what is the service I used? Um, oh, and there's there's several of these now, but I use this one called b Scepter. B E E C E P T O R. But you can just set up your own. You got give it. Uh, it'll, it'll create a, I guess, a subdomain for you. You just you can make it whatever you want. So you know. Mm. You know, you can tell it ABC, and it'll, so it'll give you com and you point your request to it, and then when the callout's made, you can look and you can see it live, you can see it come in, but you can also set up all these r- mocking rules,
2: mm.
0: and so it'll, because the, the thing I thought, well, that works great if I just, I mean, if I'm just sending one callout and I need to see the response, but what about when it's a conversation of callouts that right. is happening? You know, you need, you need to send a, a valid response back, and then stuff happens to it, and then you know, it goes back and forth based on these different response based on the data passing back and forth. And so, but you can do that with this. You can set up mocking rules, like you can say, "Oh, if if a call comes in with this certain JavaScript prop JSON property with the certain value, then send this response back." And so, you can actually kind of mock that whole. Wouldn't conversation. it be great if
1: Salesforce implemented their mocking library that way for callouts? Um, it seems kind of tedious right now. With the the way it is. Mock- yeah,
0: yeah. There's a couple of ways to do it. It's it's. I, I mean, we're really limited by the. The Apex language, unfortunately, at this point, because in the, you know, in the Java world, which is really static. I mean, it got it, um, it got much better. Actually, starting with Java five, I and mean, the, the options now. My and I don't still don't know why this is not caught on. I, I, like, I'm always trying to, um, shill, not shill, but what's it, evangelize, I guess, for this. Um, what are we? It's JMockit. Mm-hmm. Is I think it's 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 like it's the best, it's the best really testing kind of mocking, stubbing whatever library for Java, but. It, I mean, it can, it can mock, uh, you can, you can basically replace uh, private methods, static methods, which used to be a hard thing. And all because of just uh, more advanced functionality, the JVM has now that lets things hook in. There's th- things called um, the VM agents. And mm-hmm. it's like this, it's kind of like a library you can, they can, pl- can plug into the VM that just hooks in, it can hook it in a really low level. And actually because of that, I know we're kind of just all over the place. So sorry about that. It's, uh, it's, it's. When it's the day before Thanksgiving, so the show's going to be off the hook, off, the, that's off the rails, I guess. Not off the hook. off the it's hook. Always is, off the, off hook. the hook is good and exciting and fun. This That's not what this is. This is just off the rails. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but no, um, you know, back in the Java world, of course, you know, you also have, always have um, what's the one of the, the sayings? Uh, don't don't defend on concrete. You know, you have to defi- de- always depend on abstractions. And so that ends up with, you know, end up with code bases where, you know, there's interfaces and abstract classes for everything. And like, you never the only thing that deals with concrete implementations of anything is like your is your um like your dependency injection framework, whatever that has to, actually has to mm-hmm. new up all these instances of things. But nowadays, with with things like JMockit and just the the things that the Java VM can do, I, I don't do interfaces near as much. And I maybe maybe I'm a bad programmer. You need to slap my hand, but I'm like I'm never now that I can mock this class without because. okay, in the old days, you had to. If you wanted to mock a class, that class had to, had to implement an interface and your mocking right. library could, impl, could create basically another implementation of that interface. Right. Well, now you don't have to do that to, to enable testing. I mean, so much of that was just to enable testing. You don't have to do that. I mean, I can mock or stub or replace it, anything dynamically without having to change the production code at all. So why do I need, I've got all these like, uh, for example, REST controllers in, in Java code that I don't need any other implementation. If I'm never going to have another implementation, why do those need to implement interfaces? Because you shouldn't say never. I mean, it reminds me of the good old you know, J two EE days with um, with EJBs and stuff, where every EJB had to implement, you know, multiple interfaces, and it just, you know, what's
1: well, the I it's mean, the design principle that that your class or your code should be mutable, that you shouldn't be updating code, you should be adding new code.
0: Right. So that's the um, oh, that's one of the what's the one of the rules too? What is it? Solid. It's is it one of the solid principles? I think it's one of the solid. I don't remember which one it is
2: though. Um, uh, it's ISP. What is ISP? ISP. It's
0: like interface segregation. Interface segregation principle. Principle. Yeah. Um. There's there's design for extensibility, not. Oh, oh no, it's open close principle. Yeah, it is. Open close. Right. Yeah. It's um yeah, and that's open. Oh, it's open for extension, not modification. Right. Open for extension, yep. closed for modification.
1: Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> Which
0: is, it's a tough,
1: it's a tough paradigm to follow, the the whole solid aspect, because you could, I mean, in theory, you could end up with just a ton of classes without a language that supports nice organization. You just have this huge tree of things that you can't really understand or put context around without naming conventions, which I hate. I hate having to use naming conventions to organize my code, but in, in that in that, uh, I guess, framework paradigm, whatever you want to call it, principles, um, you would. You'd have to have an interface, you'd have to have a factory, you'd have to have
0: um, concrete implementations yeah, of yeah. everything. It's I only just, do that kind of stuff when I, when I need it, when it serves the project. Some, yeah. I mean, you just don't have to do that. I mean, that's why, you know, the, the backlash against all that stuff uh, resulted in, like you know, POJOs, right? And, mm-hmm. and, whatever. and now every language has a POJOs, POCOs. Whatever, right? You know, everyone has their plain old objects because plain old objects are pretty awesome. And with modern these modern runtimes, I mean, you could, you don't have to have interfaces to mock stuff. You know, you can and, and there's all kinds of. I mean, even you know, nowadays, like look how Spring works. I mean, it's all just annotations on things. Whereas before, you had to had to implement all these interfaces to get um, and then the framework would call methods on your class, so you can get no, um, get stuff injected in your class. Now you don't have to do any of that. You just uh, uh, you don't even have to put an annotation on your constructor anymore. I mean, just these these things. It's so much so much of it is just convention based. You know, you might have, you might annotate a couple of things like your main entry point or whatever. and Everything else is just it's all you know magic, yeah. which which can be bad. Magic can be bad. I remember when I was learning Rails, and I um I was, there was so much magic going on that I just I never I felt like I never got yeah. comfortable with it. And yeah, I because I always
1: wanted to deep dive into what they were doing and why they were doing it and the opinions they had on things. And I just, I never got off the ground with Rails because I kept trying to dig into it, understand it.
0: And I think it's because I was so biased by my existing programming techniques and languages that I was, in frameworks I was familiar with. Whereas I think if, I think that's why Rails was so popular with noobs because you, you didn't care how it worked. It just—it's like it was more intuitive to you because you weren't biased by wondering, "Well, how, this shouldn't work. This shouldn't even be able to happen like this." Right. I need to know how this is working. And everyone, you know, like a new person, be like, "Oh, I, I don't care how it works. That's just you know, it's just more intuitive. It makes <laughs> but sense." That's today. true. That's
1: true. When I when I first started, I didn't care how something worked. I, I just cared that it worked. I, even my own code, I didn't care that much about my code. I it worked. I had a button. It it had the entire implementation of what that button needed to do inside the event function and I, I didn't care, it worked I was happy, yeah. but now, I, now I'm, I feel, well I guess for good reason but now it takes me forever to build something because I gotta think through it all I gotta think through the event system, I gotta think through the, the class hierarchy, I gotta think through do I need interfaces, do I not, all those kind of things so my brain is filled with all kinds of stuff now that I have to think about but it, it's, it's there because of experience, it's there because I know if I don't do this right maintaining this or debugging this is gonna be hell yeah. and that's the whole point I think of all this Sure, you can build something. It can work today. But good luck trying to figure out what it's doing a year from now and, wh- and why how is that? you can extend it.
0: What, what makes it difficult to understand and extend?
1: Just the way you build things. The yeah. reason we have these principles, the reason we have these patterns, the reason that we do the things that we do, the reason why we take the extra effort to abstract things the way we do. Um, I, I think we got... Versus just having a button with a bunch of code
0: behind yeah, it. I, I think we got... I think the pendulum swung too far. We got too caught up with trying to imagine how every class you write might need to be extensible. Yeah. And I've really backlash from that now. I mean, I'm, I'm all, I still love, don't get me wrong, I still love um, the single responsibility principle for me huge. Not that I always follow it religiously, but I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense. And, and the bigger your application is, the more, if, if everything does one thing and does it well, it makes things so much more testable, so much more understandable. Uh, that one's huge with me. What else? I mean, I guess interface segregation kind of kind of falls along. I mean, if the same, the same the same role. It's really about having something something have a, a very defined and specific role that's not right. too broad. Um, but I don't, I mean, I don't try to figure out, oh man, I, should this be a uh, oh, I don't know, should this be a, a visitor, an observer, or should this, you know, I, I mean, when the thing I'm working on right now needs that concept you, you know I'll, that's when I'll do it
2: mm-hmm.
0: but I don't think oh yeah how, how could this might be because nowadays on on most modern platforms I mean you're, you're just refactoring is is so much it's it's just part of what you're going to do it's you should expect it it's so that a lot of these tools make it so easy nowadays that when you when you actually have a concrete need for something to, to become extensible now you think okay well we have this existing thing we built that's not designed to be extensible so in fact that's why it, um, I think was it c sharp that got it right by default classes are closed or they're not extendable you have to you have to declare them as or no is it is it java that what uh, so I get these confused now um, one of them the classes by default are not ex- are not extendable you actually have to define them as oh um, is it virtual someone someone correct me here but i it, well I actually like that idea that by, def- by default... i think it's, def- I think it's Apex Java because
1: also follows that paradigm. You have to, you have to define, define it as virtual, right? right.
0: Yeah, because basically what, you're, what the language is saying is by default, if the, if the developer didn't, extend for you to, didn't intend for you to extend this, then I'm not going to let you extend it. It's better just to compose, right? Mm-hmm. To compose it. You know what I mean by that? Yeah. Yeah. So create another class and just y- use, use an it. instance of right. this thing. Don't try to extend it because it was not designed that way. And this is not going to work out like ninety nine percent of the time. This is not going to work out well for you. So the, you're just making your language opinionated about that. So sealed, sealed in C sharp is what it is. Now that's not default, or it is default. It's not default. So C sharp by default, classes are open. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I don't know. It'd be. In, I don't know. I'd probably be interesting to listen to a couple of language walks. Like argue which of those is right. But okay. Nowadays, oh, not the default. Yeah. Nowadays, I like the idea that. If someone didn't extend into then, then again, you could say I could understand the argument. Like, I don't need my language enforcing that. Like, let programmers give programmers enough rope to hang themselves. They should. They make them go learn their lessons. Mm-hmm. No language is going to prevent people from doing dumb things, and it shouldn't try. Well, it comes back to a language that's that's maybe too opinionated, that has a lot
1: of magic built into it. Yeah. Oh, we got a comment that says a five-year Rails dev came to peace with the magic, and I think that's. I think over time, once you develop some comfort level with the language, the magic doesn't bother you so much. Like The, the magic in, in Apex doesn't bother me as much as it did when I first Wait, learned. What magic is there in Apex? A lot of magic in Apex.
0: Really? Give me an example. So yeah. I know what you're talking about. Not no. that I remember.
1: Like yeah. there, there was just magic like on the implementation of the map function where you can pass in a query string and you didn't really know how it was building it or what it was assigning it to, the order of operations. Just, there's just magic everywhere. The
0: that, cor- uh, see, I don't consider that magic, but...
1: There's magic. I don't remember what it was. I do think that's
0: undocumented. Is that that documented that you can, like that uh, a list or the, is it documented for example, that you can pass a list of S objects into a map constructor and it, and it knows how to build the key set and the, and the value list. You know what I mean? Is that documented? It's documented. Yeah. That is documented. Okay. Well, okay. I guess then that's not magic. You know, it's, it's very clear. I when I talk me, about like magic of uh, in the that happens in Rails and Ruby, just all the weird like it's all the weird meta it's the meta programming it's the dynamic runtime monkey patching that everything does that magically adds methods and properties and stuff or or whatever just does all these crazy things that that's that's way more magical than any kind of static language is going to do, although nowadays i mean you, gosh again, you look at like modern a modern spring app. Mm-hmm. And you're just like that would seem like crazy magic to a ten year ago Java developer. So no, I guess, I guess that's been in the in the context of its time, right? That's true.
1: But I mean, I think that's the only point I was making is these new concepts that seem to do more than they should or have an opinion in the way they're implemented. You you tend to understand how they're used, or you just use it enough that you're comfortable with it. And I think that's true of everything.
0: And see, someone brought up you know how DML feels pretty magic. And and I think and that's why I always correct people. Like I mean, Apex and the way you work with, um, I guess qu- queries and how like when you make when you do an SQL query in Apex mm-hmm. and you get a list of S objects back, some people consider that an object relational mapper, and it it's really not. I mean, if you look at at least if if you're talking about a relatively modern, I would say even in the past ten years, ORM, it's not it's not really not an ORM because. ORMs do stuff like you can you can have a let's say a, um like a what do you like a database script method almost type of thing where you have a method and you can mark it transactional, and in that method you um, you can ask the entity manager like your ORM entity manager for um, for some kind of object it gives it back to you right and so so far we're we're just like Apex is mm-hmm. you got now you've got an object right but any change you do to that. Any, you know, any fields you update on it or any, you ch- it, let's say it's got some collections hanging off of it. It's like, it's a car and it's got wheels and you add a wheel to it, all that kind of stuff. At the bottom of the method, when the method exits, number one, the trans the transactions automatically managed. But, but, but before that transaction's closed, the, the entity manager then looks at all the things you've done because it, it actually d- hooked up dynamic proxies to, all, to everything you had. Mm-hmm. And it's listening and it makes magically makes all the SQL statements and things happen. And then it issues a transaction end statement. So it's doing all that for. And of course, we get the we get the automatic transaction stuff, right. but we don't get any of that. What's called the the it's really the unit of work pattern. And I know, yes, I know that Andy Fawcett has his unit of work thing, but it's it's not anything close to what a Java or C Sharp or any other kind of enterprise programmer would expect.
1: True, but I think it's that, just that's that seems he magical.
0: Had. In fact, I mean Hibernate is just uh, gets picked on a lot cuz it's it's the biggest target out there. But it it's got so much magic that people it, it can cause problems because if you don't understand what it's doing, you can get yourself in a situation this will inevitably happen on a non-trivial project where you got developers who have written code that has resulted in really inefficient queries. And cuz you don't have to write the queries. You don't have, you're not querying things and you're not also you're not writing the queries that do that do the DML. Right? And so if you don't know what you're doing or if you've set up your entities wrong where they're, you know, the fetch strategies are not optimized, um, yeah, you can, you can really, if you have a high volume application, you can get yourself into all kinds of trouble. Um, so that magic, um, the magic can always work against you. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's part, uh, part good magic, part, <laughs> part black magic, I guess. Um, I, I had a thing that I wanted to just, I guess, mention. It happened. I, I, uh, I was going to mention it last week. This upcoming thing happened over the weekend, which is uh, an org, a client that I've they've done some work for, their their org was being moved from one pod to another. So this is not a, I'm trying to think of what the word for this is. It's not a, what, it's not a site change. Is that what Salesforce says? That's a separate thing where they move an entire pod. It just like instantly in a flash, it moves from one site to another site, the whole pod. The site switch? Yeah, the site switch. That's yeah. not what this is. This is when they when a pod gets too big and they take, say, half of its orgs and move those orgs to a different... So you move from, like, you know, NA5 to NA, you know, 97, right? Is that considered a merge? It's, a, it's more of a split, right? Split and merge, so you're, right? so you're taking... I think you're taking some of an existing pod and you're moving it to a new pod.
1: Yeah, I just did one recently.
0: So what happens is, you know, like, if anything you had that was hard... And I know you're not supposed to do this, but, like, hard-coded to NA5, if it's now going to be NA97... Anything hard coded is going to break. And the question is, and then they've got um, a quite complex uh, integration that's running constantly doing stuff.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And it connects in through so- SOAP and REST, right? The, the, the APIs. And I was like, well, how in the hell is this going to? I mean, we were, because we were talking about, should, we're trying to plan for this. What do we need to do? Should we take the integration down? Because I wondered, like, okay, so the integration's logged in, it's got a session ID. Mm-hmm. Does that session ID travel along with the change?
1: That's a good question. I don't know if it does.
0: Or is it going to get... And Because the thing is, the integration, I think, is I think handles like expired session message. So if it got moved, and then the next message it got when it tried to make an API call was, hey, your session's expired, it would immediately just log in again, and I would think everything would be good. But I didn't know if it would get session expired, or if it would it'd get some other weird communication error, where the integration doesn't really know what to do, so it just keeps trying. Mm. like keeps banging its head against the wall. Because it's looking for, it's for that try to, It's not going to try to log in again because it's not getting the, hey, your session's expired message. I didn't know what was going to happen. But what's really cool, and this is really smart how Salesforce did this, is you know how they really want everyone to have their own custom domain now? Right, the my domain. Yeah, so they have a my domain.
1: Why is it Salesforce allowed to say my and I'm not? I'm I not allowed to say my code, but Salesforce can say my domain?
0: I don't know. That's because <laughs> that's my rule and I'm in control of that rule. Um, so yeah, so this... this has its own domain, and I haven't really looked to pay attention. But I imagine when the integration calls the login method, you know, and, and, and gets back Salesforce then responds with, "Okay, here's your session ID," but also talk to this, talk to this URL from now on. This is your new endpoint to use, right? right? And I'm pretty sure they get their my domain. It's their it's their my domain back. So it's like you know, companyabc.force.com or whatever. Because in the old days, it used to be you know, it'd give you na5.salesforce.com. Right. Well, now it's giving you you know, companyabc force.com and what they did was you know because they just set their DNS TTL really low before this probably but when, this, when that switch happened they just updated company abc.force.com to point to the to be the C name to the new you know na 97salesforcecom mm-hmm. we have to change anything nothing went down I didn't go back and look at the log to see if there maybe there's like a five minute span where it couldn't connect but it just nothing went down nothing went wrong hmm. integration as far as we can tell never there was n- nothing in the error log it didn't skip a beat. Very awesome. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah.
1: My my domain is where you want to start from now on. If you're going to use a user URL, though, the only problem with um, my domain is sandboxes because I think, I think by default the sandboxes still include a instance name in them. And I had this problem with setting up a a single sign on that went to Salesforce and it went to a sandbox and I think it had the domain instance and I think all I did was just manually remove the domain instance from the. URL and it seemed to still work because, which is weird. I don't know why it would include the instance name because what happens with the my domain is you get my domain, but then it'll be like dash dash whatever your sandbox is, yeah. dev or something. Yeah. But it still had the domain in the URL. So I'm not sure if that's just an artifact. What do you mean the domain
0: in the URL? I don't know. I'm sorry, called. the instance. Okay, in the the pod, URL. the pod identifier or whatever, NA, na something. It. I whatever. call it the instance. Is that what it's okay? Yeah,
1: the nas. I don't know what the right
0: word is. It is
2: for it is instance. I say instance. Okay. You say potato, I say instance. Mm. All right,
1: um, but that can be a pain. Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I heard you uh, were using that new switch statement.
0: <laughs> yeah, and it's fine. I mean, I just i i it was the first time I tried to use it on something you, you, real, you, and, and
1: you went through this, the exact same experience that I think all of us went through. Is we we started using the switch statement, we started hooking up variables to it, and trying to switch on variables and. Got our hands slapped. So
0: you can, you can switch on variable. It's the, um, it's the, it's your case statements or, or not the case, the, the when statements. You can statements. switch
1: on a variable but the when, what do they call the, that? The
0: matcher or whatever it is. It's not the,
1: it's the identifier I think is what they call it. It's the switch
2: identifier or the value or the identifier. Yeah,
0: and so it, it has to be either a a, lit, a, a literal or a constant. Or no. Or a type. It has to be a literal, a type, or an enum. Well, Okay. Yeah, you're right. It, it can't, can't be a even constant. be a constant. It can't, can't be, constant, be yeah. any kind of variable, not a <laughs> final, not a whatever.
1: I, I, I had this mental block because enums to me are constants. I know they're enums, but okay. they're constants. They're constants.
0: <laughs> well, in that, they're not going to change, I guess, but that's yeah. not the right word for them. I still see it as a class constant hierarchy. I know, John. You, you've made it clear that you use whatever words for things you want to, and that's fine. We will all have our John secret decoder <laughs> that's the way, ring to that's understand what, what you're saying. what they are I'm gonna
1: find support. It's the, also, the internet will find support for any any wacky things. You, you also point of call
0: view. CSS classes, you call them tags, and I don't know why. CSS tags. And I've just gotten used to that. I always I always translate that in my head when you say CSS. Where did tags. I get that from? I have no idea. These are just things that John does. Title. I've
1: been doing CSS for a long time, so I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where I got it from.
2: Let's see, I gotta add that to the title list. I'm not doing titles. I'm being lazy. Things. <laughs> That John does, is that even proper English? Things that John
0: does? Yeah. John does things. Okay. That idea. Um, let's see, what else I have it? So, the you know, stock market in general has been down, but boy, Salesforce and some of these cloud stocks are really down. And uh, just on Monday alone, I figured out that I think Benioff lost like $500 million. Of course, it's all it's the best. It's, fun, it's funny money. Um, not very much, a little bit. I looked at it. It's bounced. John, Salesforce is down 25% on the year. Would you like to argue with me on that? No. Okay. I would, but I wouldn't yeah. win, so no. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's funny money for the most part, but is it it will come back.
1: But it was based on nothing. I tried to read up on it. it no one can say what it was based on other than some weakness in, what, Facebook issues well, and not, Apple issues causing... I'm not going to turn
0: this into a finance show, but the reason that the cloud stocks got hit the worst is because they're the ones that are... And Salesforce is close to the top of the list on extremely overvalued companies. So whenever the you know if if the Nat watch this, you guys can watch this. Next time the Nasdaq is down a point or two, watch Salesforce will be down will be down two to four times that much. Okay. But but because there's jitters, there's lots of jitters around the Salesforce. Like people are very nervous, but it bounces back hard too because people are enthusiastic about it. It's weird. It's looking at salesforce's chart is like looking at the looking at the nasdaq in general through a micro, through a, a magnifying glass it's like every step that it takes it salesforce just magnifies it it's more it's the same <laughs> movements in the same direction but just more extreme it's really interesting yeah and i don't really know what that means other than it's just more volatile salesforce stock is very volatile they still have a whole lot to prove and they get in their they still have not grown into their big boy pants yet and the stock market is Ner- uh, nervously awaiting them uh, doing that their projections don't show it happening anytime soon you're right they show high growth
1: but not they show high growth and high revenue but not not
2: profit they don't show profit well it's not about profit john look at the deferred revenue number <laughs> just keep your
0: don't, don't look over there at that that profit number. Look at the deferred <laughs> revenue. That's all you need to care about. I wonder if, can I, can you pay your rent with deferred revenue? Does it work that way? off does. <laughs> you actually can because the definition of deferred revenue is you have been paid for that revenue but you just haven't performed or you haven't met your obligations with that revenue yet so you have to d- defer it. It's by. like
1: using your, your tax withholdings. <laughs> I guess. Or it's... Because like, you, you have to pay it at well, quarterly, but... Yeah. Yeah.
0: Anyway, uh, let's see. What else do I have? People who obsess over process. I just wanted to get your thoughts on this. So, I obsess over process. I I, I run into these people every now and then, where, and they're not people who are, who are necessarily highly experienced or even knowledgeable about process. And I think that's where this comes from. But they are a little bit obsessed with process, meaning that, like at least weekly, like they want to have a call or a meeting about the, the process we're doing. And, and you're you know, talking and about like, it needs to be more agile, or we need to, we're like, we're, how, how are we going to manage this? How are we doing? It's like, well, we have as much process as we need, and we're getting, we're getting work done. We're getting the work done. But they're so uncomfortable with their own knowledge of, or their own grasp on process? This is a good topic because I've
1: been thinking about this a lot. And I, I feel like I, I'm on the other side of it. I want more process. Well, you always <laughs> want more process. You want more requirements. You want more process. You want, you know. It's not that I want more process. That's not a good way of putting it. I think what I want to do is understand what the expectations are and understand our way of doing things, which I don't feel like I'm getting. I don't feel like I'm getting a, this is how we do things type thing. I'm not talking about having a, a process that, that's defined to the nth degree of every step that needs to happen. But I feel like when, it, when projects, and especially when in my position where I work on multiple projects with different people leading those projects, it gets really tough on me to, to work in like five different ways because there's five different people doing it five different ways. Some people want a ton of meetings, some people don't. Some people hand me good requirements. Some people hand me a sentence and a when can you get this done because we need it yesterday. You know, it gets tough.
0: That, that is, but although I think we're, you know, we're talking about different problems here. How so? I mean, you're, you're, you're confounding the problem of you, you are task switching all the time and you have too many projects. You're, 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 you're on that fragmented time model or fractured time model, which is, a, which is a problem in and of itself, which you have to deal with. But it, it kind of magnifies other problems. If you have, you know, if you're on six different projects and they're all led by a different person and the, the project team is, has completely different Levels of capability and maturity mm-hmm. and there's the different ways to communicate and different policies and procedures you follow in the project then it's that yeah that's just that's a mess, and I could see why you would just i don't know want some kind of standardization or like an over communication almost because not, you not, don't you don't have time here's the problem when you're on the projects that many projects like that, yes. and that's why you're working, yes, you don't have time to babysit yes. like you didn't get me what my need I need or this person didn't respond back like. You're not, like, at the end of the year, you're like, you don't have this checklist of, like, all these people you need to follow up with now because they didn't do what they were supposed to do or get you what you need. It's too hard. There's too, there's, the yeah, communication think, overhead is too much. you're bringing
1: me to an epiphany, and that that, that is exactly right. My, my symptoms of being stressed out by no process isn't because I want process. It's because I need some consistency because I'm pulled in so many different directions. Again, I'm speaking high level here and, and. Back and experience, I'm not talking about day one today. Don't don't get me wrong, but um, I think I think you're right. I think I crave it because because of different reasons. It's like I want a candy bar not because I'm hungry, but because I'm stressed and it makes me feel good. <laughs> and your process because I'm stressed and nothing else is working, so let me just mask it with this this uh, placebo. Yeah,
0: and and you know it's it, it also I, you have to. Bring back that axiom of, you know, the better your team is, the less process you need. I'd the worse your team is, the more <laughs> process you need. And, and the problem is you're dealing with just basically a bunch of unknowns. I mean, these, some of these projects are short-lived. You never get to know the people very well. Right. And again, because you're bouncing around so much, you can't depend on people. You've got to, you, you, your backstop is process. That's the only thing that's going to keep you, that's, that's in your mind, and you may be right about this, is going to really kind of close us to guarantee that you get what you need in order for you to do your part on the project.
1: Right. Wow. I never expected that. (laughs) That is a serious epiphany for me because you have no idea how much I've been thinking about process lately and how much I think that things need to be consistent and stabilized when really, I don't think that would solve it at all. I think it would just make things worse because now you're forced to do things not the way that works best for you as say a project manager or whatever. You're being forced to do this one thing over and over that just doesn't work for you. Yeah. And I think the rea- the reality is, is that it's not so much that we need consistent process. I think we just need consistent people. Is that fair to say?
0: Well, that that's the ideal. I mean, look, at, think of the Agile Manifesto: people over process. We believe in people over process. Not that you don't need any process, and not that it's a absolute people is all that matters and we no, no process. It's just that, given the two, we value people over process.
1: Yeah, because I think I think I would be fine if I could say. Sure, give me the requirements however you need to. Some person likes to give me docs. Some guy likes to print it out and hand it to me. Some guy likes to email me or whatever. But as long as I'm getting the requirements and as long as they're consistent in the way they produce those requirements, I, I think would is all I'm really looking for.
0: I knew I wasn't getting this right. I had to look it up. So the, the correct value is individuals and interactions over processes and tools. Is that people were? No, that's the Agile Manifesto. Which is what, twenty years old now, something like that?
2: Crazy. So maybe that's what it is. I'm just
1: I don't yeah. I mean you're you're it's hard to say that I'm dealing with people with different skill levels. It's just they have their own way of doing things, and that way of doing things doesn't always lend itself to a cohesive bond between me and them. Like I've worked with people long enough that they know how I need things and I know how I know how they work and they know how I work and so it works because we've just got experience with each other yep. but then there are other teams that we're, I don't have that experience with it's a new we're new to each other we're new in yeah. this relationship and we're trying to figure each other out
0: right there's there's, the, and there's, I feel like
1: process would help normalize that a bit but maybe I'm wrong
0: it might and, and I could also see a model where like you have more process at first and then if, assuming it's a, a not a super short term project but over time that process slowly melts away as you learn how people work and your trust levels go up
1: maybe it just requires a team a new team a team of new people working together some time to some mentorship to happen like someone taking the lead to mentor the team that new team
0: yeah it's again it's I feel
1: fun. like right now we're so plug and play you know we need this so you you plug in here and and this other people need this so you plug in there there's no chance for us to get to know each other create that bond. There's no one kind of creating some kind of
0: it's, – it's that um, – no cohesion. There's no – There's no cohesion. Group, but, it, what's it called? Group cohesion?
1: But we talked kind of about thing? that. We talked about a person on a project who, who provides no tangible benefit other than they make the group work.
0: But, yeah. Well, well, that was, Now, that was people aware. That was people the, the person that makes the project gel and you didn't realize it until after you fired them because you couldn't see what they were doing for right. the project.
2: Yeah.
0: Which is uh, not like uh, – I mean, that, that, ha- that can happen. And if you, if you don't know to watch out for that that you accidentally, like, you know, reassign someone somewhere else or, or let them go or whatever because you, you, didn't, you didn't realize what they were doing for the project.
2: Right.
1: Maybe I don't need process. I just need that person, <laughs> that one person to, to gel the team Well, tea. I think
0: that's ideal because I think the right people on the project, you're always going to have a much more higher-functioning project than if, than if you're running the project on, on strict process. Right. And, you know, yeah, complicated, strict processes. Rigid processes, I should say. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I guess back to my...
1: I like the response. Don't work with stupid people.
2: Yeah, well, <laughs> it's the, kind of the
0: glass half empty way of putting it, I guess. But it's funny. <laughs> but I've just, I've, 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 I've experienced some of this where people keep going back to, they, they're so, and I haven't put my finger on it yet. But, there's but maybe, someone, maybe
1: that's the point. Maybe it's the the point that they're asking for more process is really, it's it's really it's it's more of a call to action. It's like they're asking for something, but that's not what they really need. What exactly. they really need is something else, and yeah. you have to dig in more to find out what it is. It what is it? What is the real problem here?
0: This also happens to be in a a fairly young group as well. I mean, the 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 people are just yeah, you know, they're they're just starting out in their career, so they're you're dealing with that also.
1: Well, that can be tough too, especially when you're coming from a, let's say they just got out of college and they're coming from more organized, structured format where they have their schedule. They show up to this class and that class has a, has an agenda and a curriculum and you follow that and you know when your tests are going to be and everything. And you go into this world where
0: you just sink or swim. And there's no real leader. There's no one that, that there's, there's no, there's no one there that can be that person that steps up, that's got experience and it's like, okay, I've, you know, I got this. I can help you guys out. And it's kind of being that gel point. Yeah, but
1: I I think that takes intention as well. That has to be intentionally be built into the group because right now everyone is so focused on getting their billable time in because that's what we're all measured on. No, I'm talking
0: about these are not billable people. That's not what I'm talking uh,
1: about. Well, I'm just saying in, in my example, how do you find that person? How do you make room for a person that's not billable or maybe is, but them being billable kind of deters them or distracts them from the job of melding the team? You know, how do you do
0: that? Well, that's, that's just short-sightedness from on the part of the, the, the team or the organization to to not understand the value that person gives to any project they're on and, and therefore not making them billable. Of course of course, it's billable. It's adding an incredible amount of value to the project because that's the kind of person that if you don't have them, you're, you know, your project can crater. I mean, why would they not? That's highly, I mean, that's highly valuable. Okay. And if, and if there's, if the, for some reason, the, the terms of the project say that, you know, only people clickety clacking code into the computer can be billable, well, then that's, I think, a shittily defined project, in my opinion. Mm, that, I know, no, no, no. That's the world we live I, know, in. I, don't, I, I, I don't know what else to say. That's the world we live in. It's very much a part of people's world. I just think that it's short sighted. And you need to, I mean, when you're, whether it's an internal or customer, or external customer, when you're even having the beginning talks with them, like you need to talk about how you work and why you structure the teams the way you do how it provides better value and it's cheaper in the long run and mitigates risk and all this kind of stuff. And, and if they don't get that, then that's maybe not a good customer. Most of them do, especially nowadays. I mean, you know. I mean,
1: I get that and that sounds great. It, is, it reminds me of value pricing where you, you sell the value of a project, not, not the hours spent, but it's still, that's still a hard sale.
0: It's not really, it's not. I it's just like, not
1: how this industry works. It's not how this, it's not, this ecosystem it's not works. It's not,
0: it has nothing to do with fi- whether pricing is fixed or not.
1: No, I'm just saying, in general, it's, yeah. it's, it's the idea that that's just not how this works. I mean, if you were to go into a pro- I mean, I guess you could make it work if it was your thing and you forced it and you were willing to pass on projects and eat ramen for another couple of months and not send your kids to vacation or whatever. Well,
0: if it's, if it's the only, I'm not, okay, you're taking to things to extreme, as you like to do, that's fine. We, so we'll let's... explore the boundaries of this topic. All right. Yeah, if that project means that you're going to make your, you're going to put food on the table or not, then take the project. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that you, know, there's, you, you always want to shoot for customers that are, the, are, are going to be good customers, that are a good fit for you. And it's really a sign of a low-maturity organization that doesn't understand who their target market is and what the kind of customers, what their ideal customer profile is.
2: Yeah.
1: No, I, I can't argue with that. I, I get what you're saying, and yeah, I'm going to extremes. I think, we're, I think
0: we're violently agreeing with each other, probably. I think we are. Which we like to do. I just, I
1: just think I feel like we talk about this and we agree on this, but I don't see any real tangible way to get from point A to point B when we say these things. I don't see a good way to say, "Okay, we don't have, we don't have that person that melds the projects." Here's how I get someone to meld the project. I don't have, I don't have a good way of selling our, our process or a value. How do I get there? I that's, I guess that, I guess if it feels easy to define everyone to be rich, right? But I don't. Know, I, I guess in these discussions, I, I, I want to understand how I can get there. I want to understand how I can go from here to here
2: because I feel like that's where my happy place is. I just is. think you
0: have to talk about this kind of stuff amongst your coworkers and that's true. figure it out. Or I don't know, start a, um, start a local, what kind of like a, I don't know if it's a mastermind group. I've never been a part of a mastermind, like some kind of, some kind of group or a subset of the local Salesforce user group, maybe or something like that's interested in this kind of stuff. Um, or maybe it's a group of uh, just a, a little user meetup user group of like people that are in consulting or something and talk about this kind of stuff maybe figure out what other people doing because I mean these are common I mean these these problems have been around forever but they're still problems everyone's still working with these because it turns out new people are born every day and, and we also like to repeat history even though we shouldn't and so these problems don't go away uh, they're everywhere and different organizations have them to different degrees and, and so I it's something that you're interested in. Uh, there's, there's definitely interests out there, and uh, I, w- I would encourage you uh, to find people, like-minded people, who are willing to come up with solutions to these things. You know,
2: that's not it it that is not bad talk advice. I'll say that. Can I talk about something? Yep. Please. This is this is a Forbes article, so you might want to get your Forbes. Oh my god! Ready. All right. Go I got
1: a vamp because you're waiting. For, you're looking for your clip. No, I'm
2: not looking.
0: Got it right here. Any monkey with with a set of lipstick on their pig lips can write it for Forbes. I'm on the ball today, John.
1: <laughs> this one caught my eye because the, the title "Simplifying Release Management for Salesforce Admins" is the title of this article. I went into it thinking I, I shouldn't have. It. it was a Forbes article, but I went into thinking, oh, this this sounds pretty good. Maybe you know, maybe they're finally <laughs> on board with what we've been saying. Maybe they listen to us and they say admins need to be on board with this whole release management stuff. And to some degree, that is what the article is talking about. Um, It even even slights Salesforce a little bit in that they don't have the tooling that they claim to be a no software, no software company. But yet, you need all this software to manage your release cycle. You need need all these third party applications to manage your release cycle. Um, But then it then it devolves the whole subject down to like five bullet points or four bullet points. But doesn't give you any way. Doesn't give you any resources. Doesn't give you anything to go on. It just says here you should be doing this, and then does, it's, a, it's a nothing article.
0: But, yeah, uh, well, and I, I, I didn't read that article, but I think I saw that. Yeah. I think I saw it scroll across my news feed and I thought, well, that's, why is a Salesforce, like, admin kind of release article thingy in Forbes? What the hell is this?
1: Because maybe we're going to hear something about this? I don't know.
0: <laughs> you know, it's just weird. I mean, can anyone put anything in? Well, I guess the, our clip answers. I was just about to say, can anyone put anything in Forbes? <laughs> but
1: I thought the points that they mentioned were pretty good. And I thought maybe, maybe we, could, we could beef up this article and just kind of give some examples. Uh, one, of their, one of their bullets was compare and deploy. Um, I, I like the wording because their wording is administrators may compare two Salesforce organizations to find differences in line-by-line configuration. It doesn't say you can. It doesn't say how you can. It doesn't say how you can do it in an efficient way. It just says you technically could open two browser windows and start manually comparing. Um, but there are tools out there that can do that. Um, well, shoot, I had it in mind and now I forgot it. Um, what is the tool that lets you compare the orgs?
0: Oh, there's a lot of them. There's one called org, literally called org compare.
1: Yeah, it's um, org compare, but I was thinking of the company.
0: Um, I, don't, I, don't know. I don't remember. I mean, I think a lot of these do that to some, in, in some way or another. Yeah, you know, gear set. Uh, gear
1: set, that's what it was.
0: There's like, what's the blue one? Blue something? Blue. Yeah, they actually. I, I, I met them at. I think Trailhead. Nice people. Um, what is it called? Someone will tell me. And there's like, I think some of these continuous integration things like gear set and others. Mm-hmm. Others like uh, what's it called? Copado? There's Copado? There's um. Yeah, I don't know. There's there's a bunch of these things. Blue blue, blue canvas. canvas. Blue canvas. Thank you.
1: So, yeah, I mean, I, I think there's tools out there. I think if you have a, a sizable instance or you're trying to manage a lot of ch- different changes from different divisions or companies, or if you're a consultant, I, I think those are great tools to invest in. A lot of times these tools...
0: Auto, Oh yeah, Rabbit, Not AutoRabbit, Autorabit. Rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard of that one. Rabit? <laughs> Rabit? Auto <laughs> Rabbit? AutoRabbit. <laughs> Rabbit with one B.
1: But a lot of these are built around the, the whole kind of continuous integration release cycle management, so they have, a lot of them will have some kind of sense of being able to automate your deployments or do uh,
0: change tracking and all that kind of stuff. And if, and if you're just looking for a compare, some of these things are way overkill. I mean, they're big, you know, full, encompassing kind of lifecycle type products. I'm not right. sure any of them, I don't know. I, I haven't used any of them, but I still know they're, they're dealing with the fundamental same intractable problems that, that right. I have, and, and they, they don't solve them. They may try to automate them or they'll, you know, account for them in terms of, okay, stop and notification, okay, this happened. But you still have to go and then fix these things. They're uh, just part of that whole metadata deployment model.
1: Yeah. Well, bullet point two gets into that and talks about scheduling and automation, which I think is is the value that some of these tools provide. Not only do you get the comparis- comparison of a lot of the what's in your system through metadata, could schedule and automate your deployments. You can create, a lot of them kind of have their own kind of Built-in chainset type mechanism where you can kind of point and click all your.
0: But does changes. anyone trust Salesforce deployments enough just to schedule their deployment? Some I,
1: companies do try to do CI, but
0: oh, I've done CI. I mean, it's f- been very automated, but you still never—I never got to the point where I didn't watch the deployment or monitor it.
1: True. Yeah. Never. I mean, I don't think this is this never. is this goes into the territory of hands off, especially since there's some things you still have to kind of do manually. Uh, or there's just ways that Salesforce manages things in the metadata that that don't allow it to be deployable. Um, like I think I, I think I had the biggest problem with like workflows because you can assign a workflow to like a person and it puts their freaking username in there yep. or something. Yep. And I'm like, well, we did it in Sandbox, so it's got their Sandbox
0: username. It's got username. a different username, yep. Yeah. I know, it's, and, oh, yes. So, I mean, it's, it's just things like that where... And, and groups, sometimes you'll depend on groups. Yeah. But those, it's like the, now they need to be in your metadata even though they're it's like a user thing. I don't know. It's, it's
1: Yeah, and some places it uses like the name and some places use the ID yep. and if you deploy it you're going to get a different ID or if it's the username, it's got a different username so you got
0: to
1: I mean we would modify the the package XML manually sometimes just to get it out.
0: And I've seen weird things where and this is just I think longstanding and and kind of shifting metadata bugs, metadata API bugs where you pull down the metadata let's say from your production org or something and you're looking at page layouts or um, even workflow things and things that reference fields. Mm-hmm. And many times they will reference the field id the field ID, so 00n whatever. Right. And I'm like, "Wait a minute, why is it why is the meta, why is metadata generating that metadata? Why isn't because that field name if I deploy to a new org, mm-hmm. is if that field ID is not going to be there. It's going to have a different ID."
2: Right.
0: So why isn't using the field name and it's just, so, yeah, I mean, and again, maybe that particular bug's been well, fixed. Well, because you can change I, the name. Well, that's a, that's a whole other problem. You can change the name, but also that, I, that ID is going to change as well. I mean, when you deploy to a new org that doesn't have that field yet, it's going to get a different ID. Yeah,
1: I'm just saying it's, so, it's really inconsistent. So, so, I, the,
0: so now that layout and all the workflow rules that reference that field, those are all broken now. Yeah. Because they're referencing a field that doesn't exist
1: the next one is test and monitoring, Uh, monitoring, 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 I like to monitoring, which I think is, I think it's great to encourage admins to, to get in, get into the, the practice of running tests, running unit tests and, and monitoring those tests and making sure that everything's still running, even when you make a simple change. Testing
0: and monitoring, not monitoring tests. Do they get into actual monitoring? I'm, I'm curious how, what people are doing for real monitoring of their Salesforce orgs. They don't. That, okay.
1: That's why I'm saying we're here to make this a little bit better, yeah. <laughs> this article a little bit better. Because it doesn't. It gives you some, some basic spiel about automating your testing or you know, grabbing the error logs and reviewing them. But it doesn't tell them where to go, how to do that. I mean, most of these tools will do that for you. They'll, as part of the scheduled deployment or even just the button click, deploy this from your, um, from your tool, say it's Gearset, uh, you'll get the error notifications. You'll get to see what failed and why. And
2: I mean, Salesforce gives you that too in the deployment status.
0: Yeah. Again, I don't, I don't know really what they're talking about monitoring. There's, Salesforce doesn't have much in the way of monitoring.
1: No. Again, I mean the, these these things are con, the concepts they're talking about are things that Salesforce does not provide. Okay. These are things that you have to add on extra tools to do. Either either find some open source tool that someone well, wrote to do it, or so they're saying that buying. Salesforce
0: doesn't provide tools for testing.
1: Not for this. Well, it provides tools for, for running the tests, but I mean, there's really no good tooling for reading the debug logs or anything. You're just reading this text file. You don't have any good tools for managing changes or discovering any kind of differences between orgs or something that might cause a break in your deployment. Yeah. Maybe something got forgotten. They forgot to add this field or the permission for this field got changed and it's different here. And it doesn't allow it to deploy or it breaks your test because they don't have permissions to it. Those kind of things. Yeah. Uh, the other one is share and control, which I don't really understand this one very much. Um, but Because they kind of lump it in with being able to kind of share deployment strategies or be able to get changes from different locations like GitHub and things like that. And I think they just tacked on, they read some like press release of DX and said, oh, well, you can deploy from your GitHub and all this kind of stuff. But they, they really don't understand what they're talking about here.
0: Yeah, it just sounds good. They it read, just sounds good. They read the copy of CIO Magazine that was in their seat back. <laughs> pocket on the So flight. when you come
1: to bullet four, uh, it's really nothing. It, that, that point really, I don't understand what they're trying to make and it
2: doesn't even make sense at all. So, nothing there. there. Yeah. Thanks, Forbes. You're welcome. I wanted to do a quiz. Okay. Um, I'm hoping that you didn't read
1: this uh, state of JavaScript 2018 because I want to quiz you.
0: The state? Oh, no, I did not.
1: Okay, good. I wanted to you make can this way to fire the
0: music up, right? Yeah. Okay.
1: <laughs> That's a bit loud.
0: No, oh, it's the intro. Maybe. Oh, let's fade into it. Calm yourself. I'll get to it. All right, let's go.
1: I closed it. Nope. Way you go, John. All right. So in JavaScript, uh, based on this percentage, uh, which one has the highest satisfaction uh, this is this is awarded to the library with the highest percentage of satisfied users is it uh, express jest graphql express no it's jest okay is that a testing that's a testing framework yeah. yeah although I find graphql really intriguing I, I like the concept of being able to just get the stuff out of the API that I want yeah. although I think it can
0: get complicated Yeah, and it's like it's
1: really, it sounds really good for the really simple use cases, but then I feel like, oh, I don't know how this works in the real
0: world. Implementing GraphQL is is a big challenge. That's Salesforce. I I guarantee you, Salesforce is working on GraphQL. Uh, Yeah. It's just, that's a big project.
1: (laughs) All right. So, this next one uh, which one is the highest interest? Uh, This is uh, technology developers are most interested in this, in learning this. Uh, Is it uh, Storybook, GraphQL, Electron? GraphQL. Yeah. Yeah. Ding, ding, ding. Uh, How about the JavaScript library that has the most mentions? Is it uh, Cypress? Happy. I've never heard of that one. VueX. I haven't heard of that one either. VueX? Oh, yes, I have. I have heard of VueX. I don't know what that is. It's like state management, isn't it? Uh, For Vue? Yes. I think? Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's basically like the Redux pattern, I think, or the, or the Flux, that's the Flux pattern. I yeah. guess Redux is Reacts, right? That's the Flux pattern, but implemented. Yeah, super simple, but turns out quite Powerful. It's so Which one? Managing, mean? I just got to say for a second, managing state in a JavaScript application is so incredibly different than managing state in any other type of application. It's so weird. That's why you had to come up with new patterns, new ways. I guess it's because it's so dynamic. I'm not I haven't. I haven't wrapped my brain around that yet. Why it's so different? JavaScript apps are basically browser app, and and, you know, single page apps are so different than any other kind of. Yeah, I don't know. It's crazy. I think it's because it's so dynamic. Like you tend to tie these different components together, and I don't know. I don't know what I'm talking about, John. Save me.
1: (laughs) Well, which one had the most mentions? VueX,
0: Happy Cypress. I would want to say VX because I'm I'm uh, biased, but I'm going to say happy.
1: Just stuck with your VX. 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 Okay, good,
0: makes me happy. I always wondered if. It,
1: <laughs> all right, next one. Which is
0: the most? Uh, wait, wait. Used- you're say you always wondered what? What was that? You said you always wonder if, and then you just. What was that? Did you, was that a? Did you have like a stroke or something? Seriously, you're looking at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. Am I hearing things? <laughs> Anyway.
1: I, think, I think I was going to say something, but I stopped myself, but I didn't realize I said that out loud. Yeah, you did. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right. Uh, which one is the most used technology? Uh, Express, Angular, React.
0: Probably React. No, God, I wonder if it's Angular. I don't... Th- I'm I'm guessing it's not Express. I'm going to... Wow, should I go with The most used? Like mm-hmm. the most deployed or the most, most current... Under development.
1: Uh, this this is awarded to the most uh, to the shelter with the largest user base. I'm gonna say React. You're right. Okay. Interesting. Angular is third in that list. It's uh, React, Express, and then Angular. Yeah.
2: It's I mean, weird. I mean, it your,
0: your apples and oranges because Express is, is a um, is a web server. Whereas I'm
1: thinking of Ember, why is I thinking Ember? I don't know.
0: Yeah, Express is a web <laughs> I server. I use Express for li- a like um, little simple things all the time. That's my go to if I need a super lightweight. Simple, mm-hmm. and if I'm in Java yeah. world, it's really super super easy. Um, but yeah, uh, whereas Angular and React are front end, right? Yeah. Front end tools. Okay.
1: All right, on this one, uh, prediction award. So this is the technology that has has the most upcoming might take over.
0: Okay. Uh, options. Oh are, wait, I, I, let me preemptively guess. The the lightning framework. <laughs> <laughs>
1: no. The aura framework. Well, yeah, no, aura know. is Java, so it'd be lightning, right? Lightning. I <clears> think <throat> would be the JavaScript. Was that one? <laughs> is aura representative of the JavaScript and the Java? Is that that's the whole framework?
0: I don't know. I remember. Or when is I, it lightning and aura? I don't know. I remember when I. Before the lightning was even a thing, um, I looked at Aura and it was, yeah, there was, you had, you had to be yeah. running a, like a servlet container to, 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 to deploy this jar that did something, I don't know, it was, it's very weird.
1: Yeah. All right, so your options are Svelte, Parcel. Wait, what was the question? <laughs> so this is the JavaScript technology that's, that's uh, poised to take over, that's going to be the next big thing. Uh, and Move your hand, John.
0: What? It's hard for us to hear you talk when you're. I'm trying to hide when the your answer. Or, when your I'm trying to hide the answer. I'm when trying to hide do this.
1: No, I'm trying to hide the answer. All right, your options are uh, smelt, parcel, reason.
0: I have no idea. I don't either. I'm just, <laughs> I'm not a hip JavaScript. All right, it's reason. For reasons. Yeah, of course. What is reason, John? I have no idea. That's why I said I have one. I think you're just making stuff up now. Random word generator over there.
1: Yeah, I am. I think they use random word generators for these JavaScript libraries. So. All right, this one's a special award. Uh, technology that fell that we just fell in love with this year. So this is a new technology that everyone's falling in love with this year. What do you think it is? Is it Storybook? Is it VS Code? Is it Next.js? Have you fallen in love lately? Mm.
0: I'm going to say Storybook.
1: No, it's VS Code, which I don't understand. Really? Yeah. I I guess I could see it. I mean, it's... You have this
0: world of... uh... I have have yet to even look at VS Code. I'm between IntelliJ and Sublime for when I need hardcore text editing. Uh, Mm -hmm. I just... I'm sure VS Code's good, I'd probably stick with it if I I just haven't it's one of those things like I've always got when I look at my list of stuff I need to do and check out and whatever, like mm-hmm. it's just it hasn't risen to the top yet. Yeah. It, it's not at the top of my backlog, so I haven't pulled it off the stack yet. <laughs> then pop the stack. It's now. there somewhere. Someone needs to help me with my backlog grooming. <laughs> <laughs> well that's it for that.
1: I think I got this link off our slack, so thanks whoever posted that. Uh, it was kinda of fun to quiz Jeremy and Expose his lack of JavaScript knowledge. JavaScript library knowledge. And with that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Love throwing that in there. I had to wait for it to be over. And if I talked over it, you'd get mad. All right. Well, that was fun, John. (laughs) Thanks. Okay, well, uh, we don't have to keep everyone, you know, this is, a, uh, this is a Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving Eve is what this is, right? It is. And everyone's got last minute grocery store tri- trips to make and turkeys to brine, beer to drink, wine to drink, whatever you drink. I got family in town, my little sister. Oh, yeah? Yep. And uh, my brother-in-law. Are you frying a turkey? We're not cooking the turkey. We're going to Sarah's parents, and they are cooking the turkey in some manner that is not yet known to me. It will be warmed. Should I? Should we? (laughs) Should we do some follow up on the turkey next week?
1: I don't think anybody cares. (laughs) i was just curious because we were talking about the different ways to prep turkey or cook turkey. So we don't do turkey either. I think we're doing typical. Just do ham or something. We're doing Texas barbecue. We're going to my brother-in-law's. He's barbecuing something. I'll, well, it's either it's either gonna be barbecue or burgers. I'm not sure. <laughs> One of the two. It'll be grilled. Grilled meat is what it'll be.
0: Can't go wrong with that.
1: No. So.
0: All right. Um, well, everyone have a happy Thanksgiving. If you haven't joined our Slack yet, please uh, please check it out. If nothing else, just uh, get in and lurk where uh, we we help each other. And I um, sometimes get in and rant and rave. Not really, but the other day I got a little out of control with stuff. But it's a helpful group and we're funny, um, but it's uh, at gooddaysirpodcast.com and click community. It's a Slack team, so you, you give us your email address and then John will add you to the team because, because Slack, yeah, pretty much. Um, and make sure you subscribe to us and your are a podcatcher of choice. It, yeah. it, helps, uh, it helps increase our revenue. And uh, leave us reviews. Send us an email, actually, if you have uh, questions that you'd like us to cover on air. Or comments or whatever. That's info at Uh, Yeah, the reviews, the hearts, the likes, the stars, all the love. We, we accept it all. I have to address
1: this uh, in the in the that's chat. How,
0: that's how people can reciprocate, John. Is That's how they can show us their love.
1: In the chat, I think people are trying to get me to say www.gooddaysterpodcast.com. <laughs> must be behind or something. I don't know. I
0: was saying that. Anyway. Well, that's all I got. Uh, John, happy Thanksgiving to you. I hope you guys have a uh, nice Thanksgiving, and I uh, hope you get some, some downtime to enjoy some, some food and some, some drink. Oh will. Same to you. And to that, I say good day, sir.
2: You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir.
1: So I'll like put a ton of whipped cream on it, and I'll just kind of swallow it.
2: Oh, my gosh.